In this podcast, Pamela Barty, a Forbes 30 under 30 entrepreneur and developer of a $100 million real estate empire, will share her inspiring underdog comeback story. And along with those of her guests, she'll share how you too, as an underdog, can rise up and succeed against all odds. Here's your host, Pamela Barty. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Underdog. Today, I have an amazing guest here with me. Doug, how are you? I am doing fantastic. Thank you so much for having me on. Thank you so much for being here. You're such a total rock star, and I'm just pumped to hear your story, hear about hypnosis and how you got into that world <laughs> and just like all the awesomeness that you're up to. Absolutely. Yeah, my journey into hypnosis was a little bit interesting. No, I think there aren't very many people who grow up thinking, I'm going to be a hypnotist one day. And it, that certainly wasn't my case. I grew up thinking I was going to be a fiction author and life had some interesting turns for me. I ended up going across the country trying to find my purpose, essentially. I went to Maine. I lived in the Midwest originally, and I went to Maine to work on a high ropes course. And it was my first adventure essentially stepping out of my comfort zone. It was big for me at that time because I went to work at a high ropes course and I had a fear of heights. So it was that challenge of jumping in into the deep end that has kind of defined my own journey. After that, I went to New Hampshire where I was working in the mountains at a hiking lodge. And that was where the really big change in my life happened. Because up until that point, I was struggling with my own mental health, with anxiety and depression. And I'd gone out to the East Coast trying to find my purpose. And I figured, you know, when I was in the mountains or doing something adventurous, it would just kind of come to me. And it, and it wasn't. And I remember very distinctly, it was January 3rd, 2019. I went out on this hike and I should not have been out there in those conditions because I got to the top of the mountain and I was in the middle of a blizzard. I couldn't see more than 10 feet in any direction. And I got lost on the way down and night fell and, you know, it was starting to snow and it was melting through my coat and jacket and everything. I was in a very, very rough spot. And I remember distinctly this moment where I was so exhausted and I fell down this hill for the third time after trying to climb up it. And it was that moment of, I just gave up and I laid there in the snow and it wasn't the thought of what people typically think like, Oh, what about your future kids or your future wife or like all the things you could achieve. It was the random thought that they're not going to find my body until spring that got me up and got me moving. Mm. And I eventually made my way back following this river. I found my way back to the highway and then to my car and made it home. And after that, I thought everything was just going to be back to normal. But I quickly realized that I couldn't keep living my life the way I'd been living it. I was literally shaking with anxiety for about a week afterwards. And then I was trying to figure out what's how can I deal with this anxiety? How can I deal with this depression rather than just medication and therapy? And I found meditation. And for some, that can be like, oh, well, duh. But for me, growing up in Wisconsin, that was so far out of left field that it was kind of radical at that point. And so I fell in love with meditation. And by learning the science behind meditation, I stumbled upon hypnosis. And when I realized that it was more than just for stage shows, it, was, it actually had a science behind it and it was helping people make some changes. I did it for myself. I got some amazing changes and then I got trained in it because I want to bring it to other people who are struggling in the same way. 
I adore that. Oh my God. Cause that was going to be my first question to you. What led you on the journey to, to really where you are today in a nutshell, which is the most loaded question ever, but you just answered it like beautifully. Are you sure? Is, do you, do you, are you telepathic too? Cause you like read that question right off, right off my mind. No, I was just guessing, I guess. I love it. I love it so much. Well, no, I adore so much of that story. And thank you so much for sharing it. Because, you know, it it gets pretty personal, you know, and it's like, I think that the hardest part is realizing and being aware and self-conscious, right? So like, what got you to that point to be like, I'm going to go cross country and I'm just going to do this and like find myself because a lot of people, you know, like when they're going through that, you know, it takes a long time to become aware of it first off and then second off to take action. So like, what was that transition for you? Was there like an aha moment that happened sort of (laughs) between time or, you know, that you were like, I'm doing this. It was a, a very slow building aha moment. I've gotten better at realizing when I am in a, in a bad spot and I need to make a change. And having had depression, I feel like my depression is now more of a signpost for me saying, you're not in a good spot. You should probably do something different. Mm-hmm. Because leading up to that jump across country, I had been in a really bad spot for about nine months. I was working a job I hated. I was in a state where I didn't know anyone. And it was... It was that moment before then that I realized that, as I said, I couldn't keep living that way. And it wasn't as dramatic as an event for me as, you know, being on that mountain. But I think it was just as powerful because that was the very first time I allowed myself that permission to say, you know, the plan that I had didn't go according to plan as I thought it was going to be. And it's all right to pivot and go in a new direction. You don't have to mourn that, you don't have to mourn that old path forever. Just pick yourself up, brush yourself off and keep going in a new way. Right. I love that. And just out of curiosity, because of like your diverse and adventurous background, like what did you want to be when you grew up? (laughs) I wanted to be a fiction writer. And I was doing that on the side. And then I was basically doing any job that I could get paid for. I uh, worked construction. I drove a bus for a while and then I drove a water truck and a propane truck. So I come from a fairly blue collar background as I, as I know you do. You work for quite a lot of what you have today. And I think that humble beginnings, you know, I wouldn't want to go back to them, but I'm so thankful for them for giving me that work ethic and giving me that experience to actually appreciate what I now have. That's incredible. That's incredible. Yeah, because you mentioned fiction writer, but I didn't know if that's something that came like later in life or it was something that you wanted to do sort of as a kid. Because oh, like- it was it was all the way from fifth grade. I remember very distinctly the day I was like, I'm going to be a fiction writer, and it's still something I I want to do. I think the difference is this. I actually made this choice consciously after that after that hike. Uh, it was that moment I realized. If I'm just pushing myself to be a fiction writer, to live up to that label, it's not going to create something that's worth reading. And so my goal now is to build up a career and help people on the, you know, as, as my profession. And then when I have the free time and the free income to do that freely, where I can actually devote what the creative energy to that pursuit. I love that, Doug. I mean, there's so much about your story that I just adore. And I mean, so you just decided to go out on your own with nobody with you? Nobody with me. I, I packed up my, I had a little yellow hatchback and I packed it up. I drove across Canada. I'd never actually been out of a country before. Quickly made a bunch of mistakes and somehow made it back to the States. And that was quite an adventure. Yeah, for sure. 
I just can't get over the, like, I'm like, what made you just like pick up and go like that? It's just, I find it so remarkable that like, you just went ahead and did that. I mean, like, I know of people who would do something like that, but mm-hmm. only if they were with people. So to yeah. do it alone, I think that that's huge. And then, and then the whole experience of being there by yourself in this blizzard, like what was running through your mind? Like, what did you, like, how did you keep pushing yourself to, to just get up and keep <laughs> going? Like, I just find that remarkable. Yeah, when I was in that blizzard, I remember before I, I fell down and was laid in the snow, I remember thinking, you know, I've got to get back. It was, I was driven by anxiety. And then after I just realized, you know, I, I don't know what's going to happen. I just kind of let go. And I realized I still got, I've still got energy. Like I, I might as well keep walking and, and see, you know, maybe I can make it. It was very interesting because it was, it was a curious feeling. It was like, I, I want to know, maybe I can make it. I don't know. We'll see. Um, I heard on the other side of that, talking about packing up and going across the country and making that on the solo trip, I heard a best phrase by a friend of mine once who said that it was less work to stay where I was, but it would be easier to go. Meaning that the pain that staying in that stuck spot was more than the pain of getting up and dropping it and risking it all. And so I just had to get to that point where I was, I was rubbed raw by life enough that I was ready to, to fly the coop. I love that. Thanks so much for sharing that. I, I'm blown away that you like, you just went, <laughs> you did it, like got lost, figured it out. And I mean, now coming back and transitioning back, you know, you had mentioned that you were like shaking for like a week. How did you sort of process when you, when you got back? What was that process like for you? <laughs> it was I want to say I handled it very well and I was very professional and I, it, it was very smooth. It was nothing like that. I was losing my mind. I had no idea what was going on. And that, I guess that's kind of how we learn. We learn what coping mechanisms actually work and what don't. And we learn that we are stronger than we, than we realize. And we learn that we can get through those tough things because we've done tough things before. And specifically in when I was shaking so badly after that hike, it was a lot of a lot of deep breathing. I've, I had a friend who was trying to teach me that, and I've learned a lot from that since. But it was also a lot of questioning, of evaluating my life. I actually, it was shortly after that, I left my job in New Hampshire and moved back home to Wisconsin to kind of take stock. And I think we need moments, perhaps not that drastic, but moments in our life that help us, that shake things up so that we can really assess what's important to us and see, do I want to keep myself on this path I'm on? Amen to that. And that kind of, right when you said that, it kind of reminds me of what the world is going through now with COVID, mm-hmm. right? For the mm-hmm. first time, everyone's lives got shaken up and they had no control. Yes. <laughs> no control. And now they're evaluating and everyone's making different choices. And there's all these things that are happening, which is unreal. Yeah. For unreal. Sure. So right when you said that, it kind of, Reminded me of that. Wow. Wow. And then, so leading into the path of going down the hypnosis route, tell me what that experience was like. Yeah. So I first used hypnosis to help myself. That That's actually a pretty common thing among hypnotists. They experience results for themselves. And then they say, you know, I, I'm curious about this and I want to actually make an impact in the world. And so I was learning it online for a little while. And I got an invitation to go to a hypnosis conference. It was actually, I think, the biggest in in North America. And of course, it happens in Las Vegas. But 
Uh, it's called Hypno Thoughts. And I went there and I was so nervous the night before. I was like, I've just wasted my money flying across the country and I don't know anyone. What am I doing here? And within half an hour of being at the conference the next day, I knew that I'd found my people. Wow. Hypnotists are so curious about the way the mind works. They're so dedicated to learning more. And I just have so many great connections from the hypnosis community. And so then going back home, it was a slow transition for me, actually becoming a hypnotist. Hypnotists aren't really known for their business skills. I'll say that as a, as a preframe, but I'm getting much better and I'm kind of building that up. At first, I thought that I wanted to be a stage hypnotist, like solo. And I realized later, as I was building up a stage performance side of things, that the therapeutic side, that's what actually got me into hypnosis. I should be doing more of that. And it was right around that time that COVID actually hit. And so my entire schedule got wiped off the map. And I had all this free time to basically, you know, figure it out. And that's where I built up the therapeutic side of things. And now even, you know, COVID is still a, a thing. And so there aren't any stage shows happening right now. But even after the stage shows really build back up and get into full swing, I think that the therapeutic side of hypnosis is really where I want to be at. And you mentioned, you know, everyone's lives getting shaken up in COVID. I have my own very interesting story of that. But in short, I was planning on doing a very big adventure the summer of 2020 and it got canceled. And so I had five months that I hadn't really planned anything and it wasn't what I wanted out of 2020. But looking back now, it was exactly what I needed. It was the freedom to build up this business that now supports me and gives me more freedom than I ever thought possible. That's incredible to say, see these blessings in disguise, right? Absolutely. It's so incredible. And so like what, cause I know a lot of people and a lot of, you know, just out in the open in the general public. And I know there's people listening right now and they're just kind of like, well, what is the science behind hypnosis? Like, what is this thing? Cause everyone, there's so many misconceptions and they just mm -hmm. think you're like this guy with this round thing and just kind of <laughs> going like this, you know? So yep. walk me through what's the science of it a little bit. Yeah. So hypnosis has about 125 years of study behind it. I think the very first organization that approved hypnosis as a, like a treatment modality was the British medical association they approved it way back in 1892. And since then, the British Medical Association, at one point, they actually recommended that all medical students undergo 144 hours of hypnotherapy training. Wow. Since then, it's been approved by the, um, the American, uh, American Medical Association, the American Psychological Association. I've even heard that it's approved by the National Cancer Institute as an adjunct treatment for cancer. And so the science of what's actually happening in hypnosis, in a nutshell, our brain waves during normal conversation or when we're doing whatever, they're hovering at what's called beta frequency. And in hypnosis, we are slowing down our brain waves. We're going down the scale towards sleep. We go from beta to alpha and then to theta. And theta is that sweet spot that some meditators know that other people have heard about. Theta is that spot that hovers just above sleep where your creative mind is active and your unconscious is more available to you. And that's kind of why it looks like sleep when someone is in hypnosis. But when a person is in hypnosis, they're awake and aware the entire time. You know, if they weren't, they wouldn't actually be in hypnosis. They'd just be sleeping. In hypnosis, 
we are communicating with a person's unconscious mind in a way that it understands through emotions and through visualizations. You know, when we get a negative gut feeling, that feeling is our brain's way of communicating with us because before language, that was the fastest way to do it. And so we're using tools from psychology and neuroscience in that theta state to communicate with the brain exactly what changes you want to make. And then after that, you know, after that's done, we bring the person out of hypnosis and they're a little fuzzy at first, but they come back to it. And then uh, the end of the session, I'm typically double checking my work to make sure it, they're not just feeling great in that moment. They're actually changed and it's going to continue long after the session. Incredible. And it's like, because <laughs> there's so many conceptions that I have about hypnosis too. And it's like, you know, I feel like you have to be there for hours and like hang out in this like space. Yeah. You had mentioned to me, you know, in, in our previous conversation that it's actually something that can be done pretty quickly, almost like meditation kind of. Yeah. In a way, are they linked? They are. Yeah. So meditation and hypnosis share this really interesting link between the brainwaves. And I, I mentioned a bit about the brainwaves. In solo meditation, our brain is actually typically speeding up. It goes above beta and goes to what's called gamma frequency. And that's where we're in a higher state of focus. And so while it might seem like our brains are slowing down, we're actually speeding up. The interesting gray area between those two is guided meditations. Those typically slow your brain down to alpha frequency, but some of the really good ones slow your brain down to theta frequency. And I've noticed after having learned hypnosis and now listening to some guided meditations, that oftentimes they are bringing in bits from hypnosis, whether it's the framework of helping a person slow down their brain and then giving them beneficial suggestions, or it's actual language patterns that are drawn directly from hypnosis. You know, I don't know if they're done intentionally, like this person sought them out, but I feel like these two guided meditations and hypnosis share such a common bond with that theta state that they're, they're very intricately linked. Yeah. And that's the fascinating thing that I'm like trying to wrap my head around. I'm like, it's, this is absolutely fascinating to learn how to slow down your brain because so many people have insomnia or stress mm -hmm. and like all these things. So this is almost like the power tool to sort of slow that all down, yeah. at least as like a coping mechanism. So in your world, how did it help you? You know, like, mm -hmm. how did you start implementing it in yeah. your life? Because some people, you know, to create a habit out of anything takes work. So it's like, how did you sort of work your way in and how, you know, what are, what are the steps that you took? Yeah. At first I was just listening to hypnosis audios. And then I did a few actual sessions with a hypnotist and they taught me that self-hypnosis is far simpler than I thought it was going to be. Mm -hmm. It is a little bit tricky because you have to be both the hypnotist and the person being hypnotized. But once you know what hypnosis feels like, and you have a few of the basic tools, you can use self-hypnosis to help yourself make some very powerful changes. And so now self-hypnosis has become one of my favorite tools. I do it every single morning, actually. It's part of my morning routine. I do like 10 to 15 minutes of self-hypnosis and then 20 minutes of meditation. And I thought, you know, for a while I replaced my meditation just with hypnosis, but they work slightly different mental muscles. And I think that both of those together really help round out my mental state for a very productive day.
I love that. I love it. So you started with like a 10 minute and then you, you kind of worked meditation and that together. All right. So what would you say to the people that are so like anti-hypnosis? Like what are like the common things that you hear? People freak out, right? They yeah. think like they're going to be like mind controlled or like whatever. <laughs> so like, what would be your response to that? And like the common misconceptions, if yeah. you, you could debunk the most, them, that would be great. <laughs> for sure. The most common misconception that you mentioned it, you know, people that say is hypnosis mind control. And I actually had someone asked me like, are you going to turn me into like a Cold War assassin or something? And I said, that's not how it works. Because (laughs) we are working with a person's unconscious mind. And that unconscious stems from the primal part of our brain, the, the part that was responsible for the fight, flight, or freeze response. Its sole goal is to keep you safe. And if at any time a hypnotist or anyone in hypnosis gives you a suggestion that your mind doesn't agree with, it's either going to ignore it or it's going to bring you out of trance. I actually had a friend in the field who did an informal study of this. I think it was about 20 volunteers they hypnotized over a couple of weeks and they gave four beneficial suggestions and one mildly negative suggestion. Like I think it was, you'll give me $5 after the session or something. Every single time without fail that they hit that negative suggestion, it brought the person out of trance. Their minds that I don't trust this anymore and I'm not agreeing to this anymore. And hypnosis is all about that trust. And when you lose it with your subject, typically, I mean, they completely come out of trance. So your unconscious mind is always working for you. That's the first big misconception. The second big one that I deal with is, is hypnosis an actual science? I mean, we, we talked about that one a little bit. Uh, I had someone ask me, is it witchcraft? And it's, it's not because the, I believe it was 1950s, the standing Pope actually recommended hypnosis to women who couldn't take medication for childbirth pains. There's an interesting history of that with the church, but hypnosis is not nearly as wacky or out there as people think. It's actually been studied and you know proven by science. The third one that I often get Besides the question of, you know, do you swing a pocket watch? And no, I don't think any hypnotist actually swings a pocket watch anymore. But the third one that I always get is, what happens if I get stuck in hypnosis? And it's physically not possible. I mean, even if you did, it'd be a pretty cool experience because it's just such a relaxing, enjoyable experience to be in hypnosis that there are actually people who have have like tried this to see how long they could get into that that hypnotic state. But typically, when a person is in hypnosis, if the hypnotist just stops talking, like, I don't know if they go away or because I do online work, if the connection breaks up and I can't reach that person again, the person will come out of hypnosis, usually within a couple of minutes. I think the longest I saw was within about 10 minutes because your unconscious is still working to protect you. Eventually, you're going to need to use the bathroom or go get some food or water. And so your mind is going to say, hey, you know, we're, we don't really want to be in this hypnosis right now. It's going to bring you out of it. And that's really the key underlying all of these misconceptions is that people think hypnosis is something a hypnotist does to a person. Hypnosis is all about a hypnotist bringing a person to a state where they can make the change themselves. When a person is ready to make that change, when they're at that level of threshold and they're like, I'm just done with this problem. As long as they've got the right tools, the change is easy to make. And a hypnotist is simply facilitating that. I cannot put anyone into hypnosis if they don't want to be in hypnosis. 
I cannot manipulate them in any ways they don't want to be manipulated. It's not like a magic, you know, potion or anything. And, you know, if that were true, why are hypnotists still working for like a couple hundred dollars an hour? Like, why aren't we mega millionaires or something? It just kind of defies the logic. And I'd say those are the big misconceptions I face. Interesting. And so like, walk me through a hypnosis. Like, what does that look like for you? Like, say you're with a client, like, what's the timeline look like, like step by step? Yeah. So I typically see clients for three to five sessions. I know clients or hypnotists who say, I can fix any situation in a single session. And I, I just think that's a little sloppy. I typically see people over about the course of a month. Each session, I book out 90 minutes. The first one, we typically use all 90 minutes. And the follow-up sessions, it's like 40 to 60 minutes or something like that. First and foremost, I'm breaking down those misconceptions as we just talked about that first session. And then before the actual hypnosis begins, I am helping the person define in their own terms exactly what it is they want to work on. If a person comes in to see me and they say, I want to be less anxious, my definition of being anxious is probably very different from their definition. Mm. And so I want to get their exact goals in their language. Partly because when we get it in their exact language, their unconscious has already partially agreed to this. You know, it's approved this statement that you're going to give later in hypnosis. So then the actual hypnosis begins. It, we go through what's called an induction. And that's simply where we slow down your brainwaves using language patterns and sometimes physical motor kinesthetic things. And then in that actual middle section of hypnosis, where you're in that theta state, that's where we're bringing in the tools from psychology and neuroscience and visualizations and other such things to deliver the exact goals you're working, you're looking to get in that language that your unconscious can understand. Mm. And then with about you know, 20 minutes left, we're bringing them out of hypnosis and they come back to it. And then the last couple of minutes, I am double checking the work to make sure it's actually going to last after that session. And then the last couple of minutes, I give the, the person a couple of homework assignments. They're very simple. Like if they're working on anxiety, like doing something that you actually enjoy doing or taking deep breaths when you feel that anxiety coming up, things that, you know, just remind them that this, that these changes have happened over the course of the week between our next session. And then I close out with a, a closing metaphor. And some of the greatest hypnotists of all time have used stories to allow to help people make those changes. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you've ever heard a, a really great story or read a great book and it puts you in kind of a flow state, that's exactly what hypnosis does. It, and most of those stories, they're delivering a, a powerful message to you when your mind is in that trance state and helping you, whether it's like a moral or it's just an example of how someone else did something. When you're in that state, your unconscious is mapping across that, that basic framework. That's basically what a hypnosis session looks like. Interesting. So it's providing the framework almost in the back of your mind for whatever problem it is that you're basically looking to solve. Absolutely. You know, we all know the story of the, of the little engine that could, and none of us are trains, but we all map across that, that, that wisdom from that story. I adore that. That's so cool. That's like the coolest thing in the world for me. And it's like <laughs> the, what your brain can do. And like also too, because I forgot to ask you this question a little bit earlier in terms of specifics regarding the brainwaves, because many people may not be aware that there's different brainwaves. Mm -hmm. Can you break those down for me? The alpha, the gamma, the beta, and the theta? Yeah, absolutely. The actual specific numbers, I, I'm pretty sure they, well, it's been a while since I checked. Let me say it that way. And the, there are some that argue on exactly where it is. 
I believe beta normal frequency is anywhere from 24 to about 18 hertz. I mm. think alpha is 18 to about 12 hertz. Theta is 12 to about 4 hertz. And then delta, which is where you actually sleep, is 4 hertz down to 0 hertz. And 0 hertz would be when you're dead. So you don't want to get there. <laughs> and these are all frequencies for anybody who's listening. So that they Yes, hit. these are all frequencies. Yep. And it's almost like radio frequencies, but different. <laughs> the universe and the brain's frequencies. That's so interesting. That's so interesting. I just find it so fascinating because it's like a lot of people don't understand like the mind is such a powerful tool. Mm. And if you know how to work with it, you can solve any problem, which is out of this world. The universe always never fails to amaze me. That's for sure. And then like learning the intricacies like through hypnosis and all these different things and through your experience it is really remarkable, really remarkable. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. And what's been like your favorite sort of story of watching somebody like transform through hypnosis? Oh, my favorite story. I tell this one often, you know, all names are changed because I do work with some sensitive information, but let's call this guy, Bill. Bill was a CEO out of California and he'd gone over the handlebars of his mountain bike on a trail and he was having anxiety getting back on the bike. And when we worked in hypnosis, we realized very quickly it wasn't that issue that he was working to solve. We actually went back to an earlier memory that his mind had completely blocked out. Like he, he didn't consciously remember it at all. It was a moment that he was first learning to ride a bike and he was he had training wheels, but one of them was loose. And he had that terrifying moment where the training wheel came off and he lost total control and just tipped over and fell off the bike. And as a kid, he was so shaken up by that experience that it became a driving motivator for him. And that's actually why he took a mountain biking in the first place, because he's like, I feel such an, a thrill, like electric thrill from this. And so when we worked with hypnosis on that issue, we were essentially keeping that memory as it was, but stripping away the negative um, traumatic experiences from that. And what I love about hypnosis versus like therapy, I think that both are great tools for certain problems. But unlike therapy, where you have to unbox every single negative emotion, hypnosis, you just take that negative emotion and you get rid of it. You give the mind something else like resources and skills to hold in its place. And that's what we did in Bill's case. We were able to bring back some more positive resources, knowing that, yes, he survived that experience and now he's learned from it. So we brought that back to his past memories and he came out of it just, I'm not really sure if he, he gathered much from the rest of the session because he was so just phased by what had happened. But he called me up a couple months later and he was noticing how many changes had actually happened in his life. And that's pretty typical because when you remove that base problem, that foundational issue, whatever it is, any coping mechanisms, any problems, any habits and ticks that have been built up on top of that foundation naturally start to crumble. In Bill's case, he got a promotion that he'd been pushing for a long time for. He was back on the mountain bike and he was actually starting a blog that he'd been dreaming about for quite a few years up until that point. And so that's one of the most heartwarming experiences for me incredible to walk people through their transformation like that is so exciting and it's also it's almost like you co-create with your clients too which is so yeah awesome. the model of hypnosis that most hypnotists agree with now at first it was like they thought hypnotists were just putting a person in trance 
But now hypnotists believe that it's like a co-created trance. As you said, a hypnotist is actually going into that experience first, hypnotizing someone, their mind is actually slowing down as well. And so it's a very cool experience to be working with someone when they're having such a deep change like that. That's incredible. What are some tips that you would give in regards to hypnosis? Mm. If you're looking for a hypnotist, I would say find someone that you trust. Find someone that you connect with. If you want to find out that, I would say look for if they've got any videos on the website or YouTube. Look for if they've got podcasts like this one. Look for someone that you connect with. Because as I mentioned, hypnosis is all about that trust. And if you have that connection with someone, that is a great starting point, a great launch pad to help you with that change. If you're looking for self-hypnosis, a really cheap, easy way to do it, I guess, is to go to YouTube, find free hypnosis. I've personally got a bunch of them on YouTube as well. But you put yourself in hypnosis with a hypnotist using those audios. You remember what it feels like. And then you see what, what similarities are in those MP3s, those videos. And then you just use those same tools on yourself and remember that feeling and aim for that. And that simply, you know, with practice, it's going to take a little while, but with practice, you can also get yourself to that self-hypnotic state to make some powerful changes. I adore that. I just love your journey and your experience and everything regarding hypnosis. And just, I know it's been a journey for you throughout the process because this is pretty much like a new endeavor for you too, right? So 2019, you were on that hike and like, now look at where you are, which is so <laughs> remarkable. You know, like, sure. what would your older self tell your younger self based on what you know now? I would say it first and foremost, just relax. I thought for so long, if I didn't have it figured out immediately, my life was going to end. I was going to die. That was probably the anxiety pushing it, pushing through. But I would say relax because even if you're still juggling things, even if you're still learning, you're still safe, you're still moving forward. And you will be amazed at just how much and how many amazing things you can accomplish and how many amazing people that you can help along the way. I love that. And now, Doug, like, what are you up to these days? I know you've got so much amazingness going on. Tell us a little bit, like, what's on the horizon for you for the next, like, year? Yeah, I am working right now on a, a digital course, and that's been an adventure for me. I'm very used to working one-on-one -on -one with people. I'm also in the process of niching down my business. At first, I was a, a very generalist hypnotist, and then I focused on anxiety relief and weight loss. And now I'm thinking that I want to narrow down to work specifically with public speakers to mm. work over confidence and motivation and things like that and bring in tools that I've got from the anxiety side and that motivation from weight loss. And that's really where I'm headed over the next year. I adore that. And you've got your podcast too, and your Instagram's dropping all kinds of like nuggets. <laughs> Absolutely. I've got the, it's called the Making Meaning Podcast, and it's on all the podcasting apps. That is where I interview adventurous people. And I define that fairly loosely, but adventurous people who have either found their purpose or are on their way to find their purpose. And from doing that, I quickly realized that our purpose is something that we have to create ourselves. That's why I call it the Making Meaning Podcast. And so that podcast is all about helping people build their own path to their purpose. 
And my Instagram is at making your meaning because of the same name. And there I share some free hypnosis videos and I explain some hypnosis science a little bit. And that's a great place to connect with me. And otherwise, my main website is just anywherehypnosis.com. And if someone wants a really deep hypnotic experience, you know, more so than just a free YouTube thing, I do have a hypnotic test drive on my website. And that URL is just anywherehypnosis.com slash test drive. You are amazing, Doug. Thank you so much for the incredible knowledge, sharing your awesome journey. And just, I'm so excited to see where you go and like the next year with your digital course and like all these amazing things. I'm just so pumped for you. And I just want to thank you so much for being here today. The only dream that I've been chasing is my own. So that's it for today's episode of Underdog. Head on over to iTunes and subscribe to the show. One lucky listener every single week that posts a review on iTunes will win a chance in the grand prize drawing to win a private VIP day with Pamela herself in Boston, Massachusetts. Be sure to go to theunderdogshow.com and pick up a copy of Pamela's free gift. And join us on the next episode.